Good evening and welcome to the Fred Paul Show on ADH TV. Well, today is one of the biggest days of the Australian political calendar. It's Budget Day, which traditionally follows Budget Weekend, the annual two-day period when the media is given tantalising tidbits about the most generous aspects of the federal government's spending plans for the forthcoming financial year. This is followed by Budget Monday, when the government supplements the good news by announcing where the money will come from, which is invariably from undeserving rich people or rapacious mining companies. And then comes the big day itself, Budget Day. There is an added, added buzz around the halls of Parliament House as staffers work from dawn till dusk to ensure every exciting detail of the budget gets the publicity it deserves. Journalists descend on Parliament House and are locked up in a room for hours with the full budget papers, emerging only after they have carefully considered the details and are able to offer their most skillfully informed analysis which is more than you can say for how they reported on COVID lockdowns and the deadly vaccine mandates. But who cares about that now? It's budget day. The atmosphere in Parliament House intensifies throughout the day until at 7.30 p.m. In roughly half an hour, the treasurer rises to deliver his budget speech, which he has been working on with a team of writers for weeks. This will be new Labor Treasurer Jim Chalmers' second budget, having delivered a mini practice budget in October. That one ended like this. Getting through this period stronger than we were before will rely on the very best, best aspects of our national character. Our resilience, our pragmatism, our cooperation and our confidence, and above all else, our belief in each other. And it will rely on a government dedicated and determined to confront challenges ignored for too long and to seize the opportunities that won't wait for us any longer. This budget does more than end a wasted decade, a decade marked by energy chaos, a crisis in aged care, skills shortages and stagnant wages, and not enough to show for a trillion dollars in debt. It does more than draw a line under the drift decline and decay that defined it. It begins to put things right. It begins to build a better future that befits our people and the sacrifices that they make for each other. A future we can all have a stake in, all sharing in its success. A stronger, more resilient Australia with more opportunities for more people in more parts of our amazing country. I commend the budget and the bill to the House. Expect even more histrionics tonight if you're inclined to watch it. Personally, I'd rather watch this. It may as well be crickets because the budget is all spin and no substance. Chalmers himself admits that inflation is the biggest concern for the majority of voters and has set aside billions of taxpayers' own money to help them deal with it. As he said in Parliament in February in reply to a question from Angus Taylor, the energy minister in the previous Liberal government. So, Mr Speaker, when it comes to the cost of living, 
and the Order. additional pressure placed on Australians and on the Australian economy by higher interest rates. One of the most important things that we can do as a government is to clean up the mess that the member for Hume left of our energy markets. And question after question from those opposite, question after question from those opposite about people who are doing it tough in this community ignores a very basic fact Order. that when we ask the parliament to help people out and make their electricity bills a bit cheaper, they voted against it. Make their, make their electricity bills a bit cheaper? Why does the government need to do that? Didn't Prime Minister Anthony Albanese say they would go down? Reducing power prices by $275. For cheaper electricity. It will save families $275 on average a year. Households will benefit by $275 on average. It will mean cheaper power for homes and businesses. That will reduce power prices by $275. Last October, Chalmers explained why Albo got that promise so wrong telling Patricia Carvelis on ABC Radio that it was all the fault of modelling. Quote, the modelling we released was done in 2021 before a war in Europe, which is playing havoc with global energy prices. The modelling was done in 2021. It referred to an outcome in 25 and in 22, we've had a war in Ukraine. That's a fact. We are expecting energy prices to go up as a consequence of that. Well, they are also going up as a consequence of our transition to renewables. Chalmers told Perth radio station 6PR during the election campaign last year that he was committing only $700 million in total to cleaner and cheaper energy. Listeners would have heard that and thought, well, that's a bargain. Well, we are now spending tens of billions on new windmills, solar panels, batteries, and a new connecting network of wires. Here's Chris Bowen applauding the closure of the Liddell Power Station in New South Wales, which will hasten the transition to new renewables on Channel 7 this month. Uh, but the good news is we've got plans in place to ensure we not only have renewable energy coming on, but the storage, uh, because when the wind isn't blowing, the sun isn't shining, we can store the energy from when it is to get us through those periods. So we have those plans in place. Yes, it's hard and difficult to manage this transformation, but that's exactly what we're doing in partnership with all the states and territories working together to make sure that we get through this transformation. We have cleaner, cheaper, reliable, renewable energy that is being stored uh, and can uh, get us through uh, the periods we need to get through. And here he is promising that it will bring prices down. Renewable energy is actually now the cheapest form of energy. Actually, coal is an expensive form of energy compared to renewables. That wasn't always the case, but it is now. Well, try telling that to China and India, who have delivered billions of people out of poverty by building hundreds of coal-fired power stations. Both of those countries are proof that cheap, reliable energy frees people from manual labour, enabling them to pursue more satisfying jobs and giving them greater wealth, health and longevity. The more prosperous a country, the cleaner its environment too. Australia is proof that the inverse is also true. 
As our energy becomes less reliable and more expensive, so too does our standard of living decrease. And yet we are sitting on enough coal, gas and oil to keep the Australian economy firing on all cylinders for centuries. Go figure. The budget is meant to be the government's annual reminder to the Australian community that the economy is in good hands and heading in the right direction. You and I know it's not. And all of the so-called cost of living relief in the world isn't going to convince us otherwise. And speaking of expenditure, the budget is unlikely to set aside much, if anything, to compensate the thousands of Australians who were either seriously injured or lost a loved one because they were coerced into taking a COVID vaccine during 2021 and 22. As I reported a couple of weeks ago, Queensland Dr. M Melissa McCann has filed a class action lawsuit in the federal court against the Therapeutic Goods Administration for negligence in allowing the vaccines to be administered. Hundreds of victims are associated with the case, but Dr. McCann says the total could one day be in the tens of thousands. Three of those people generously shared their stories here at the time. Here's a reminder of one of them, Queensland personal trainer Inga Doyle. I was not in a very good way. I ended up with complete organ failure. I had no kidneys, no liver, no bowels, no saliva in my mouth. I was basically hooked up to machines to keep me alive. And you would have been in ICU by that stage? Yes, I was in for a couple of weeks in ICU. What, Inga, what was going through your head at this point? I mean, at this point, I assume nobody had told you why this was happening to you no. and whether or not you would survive. How were you coping? It was a real nightmare. I was in so much pain. I was on very heavy drugs. I thought I was going to die many times. I never thought I was going to make it out of there. The responses to those case studies were by far the biggest we've received for any show, and there will be more of them in the future. Whatever rabbits Jim Chalmers pulls out of the Treasury's hat tonight, it won't alter the fact that Australia will never progress as a nation until it analyzes how things went so catastrophically wrong during the COVID pandemic lockdowns and vaccine mandates, and those responsible for it are brought to account. The best budget in the world won't ensure the same authoritarian dictators don't lock us down again for even less tangible reasons. Craig Kelly is the former federal Liberal member for Hughes in the southern suburbs of Sydney, who was kicked out of the Liberal Party for standing up for people's freedoms during COVID. And I am very pleased to say he joins me now to discuss all this. Craig, welcome. Yeah, great to be with you, Fred, on this uh, rather cold, uh, cold, cold day. Oh, yeah. So much global warming about. That's right. <laughs> I saw that it was three degrees that... Uh, Cool and gather in Brisbane today. I said the cool, some of the coolest temperatures ever recorded uh, for May in Queensland. So, but that's that's global warming for you. Well, I'm sure the Bureau of Meteorology is right onto it. They'll be fiddling the figures before the sun goes down. <laughs> but firstly, let's just get to the evidence that Labor is mismanaging the Australian economy. It's becoming difficult to ignore. You're a former member of the Federal Coalition. Why aren't they on the front foot attacking the government? There's so many easy goals Look. to kick at the moment. 
the tragedy of the uh, nine years of Liberal governments, uh, first under Tony Abbott and then Malcolm Turnbull, uh, quickly who rolled Tony Abbott and then Scott Morrison, was that there's so many things they didn't fight for that they should have. And then when you don't fight for it, when you don't do it in government, when you get into opposition, it's very hard then to mount a case. Now, let's take, for example, the Liddell uh, Power Station. Uh, myself and a few other uh, colleagues, we sort of said at the time they talked about Liddell closing in 2018, saying this is crazy stuff. You've got to keep Liddell open. There were offers at the time from competitors of AGL who own Liddell to keep it open, to continue it running, but no, no, the Liberal Party let it go, didn't, didn't want to fight that fight. Now, we've seen since Liddell has closed, uh, the last 10 days, wholesale electricity prices in New South Wales have been some 50 to 60% higher than when Liddell was open. It's simple. You, you reduce the supply into the market and the prices go up. Now, that's, that's going to flow through to consumers. So if the Liberals had held their ground, if they had afforded to keep that uh, Liddell coal-fired power station open, now they could be on the front foot saying, look, we told you so, we were right, look at the effect this is having on prices. But because they didn't fight at the time, they've just got nowhere to go now. Well, to, to sort of, um, you know, give the devil his due, the Liberal Party has been losing a lot of ground to the Teals, right, electorally. That, you know, whenever the Liberals lose a seat, it's often to a Teal. These are essentially rich environmentalists appealing to doctors' wives who, uh, who want to... Uh, a sage for the fact that they have, you know, three cars and a two-storey mansion. But it's commonly interpreted as the electorate in general shifting further towards the Greens. Do you agree with that? No. Firstly, the reason this has happened is because, again, the Liberals haven't fought. It's been a case of the old uh, what's in a piece of someone who feeds the crocodile hoping, hoping to be eaten last. And that's exactly what the Liberals have done for years now. Instead of saying, look, hang on, this is a complete nonsense that we're going to close down all our coal-fired power stations, a complete nonsense we're going to have subsidised electric vehicles. When China is opening hundreds of coal-fired power stations, it's not going to do anything on their uh, reducing emissions until 2050, and we're supposed to be net zero by 2050. So they've appeased their opposition. They've made the argument for the other side. So the Teals come in and they go, oh, you know, climate change is terrible, you know, the... The government says we need to have net zero by 2050, but so we should need to have it by 2049. So they were always going to be gazumped if they didn't stand and fight. And that's that's one of the reasons it happened. They, If you're not putting the fight up, if you're not pursuing the arguments, you'll ultimately lose, and that's what's happened with the coalition and why they've lost so many seats to the Teals. Well, Peter Dutton has promised that he won't be a small target at the next federal election and he will offer a viable alternative and distinctive alternative to Labor. Do you have much confidence? I know you're a former member of the Liberal Party and you're now from Look, the Peter, U, U, UAP, but do you have much confidence in the Liberal Party being a, a, a viable fighter in the next federal election? Look, Peter Dutton's a good guy. I've got a lot of lot of respect for Peter, Peter Dutton. I I wish him all the best at trying to reform the Liberal Party and trying to put a bit of steel into their backbone because that's what they need. But I just see there's just so many wishy-washy people in there, so much factional division, uh, so much dysfunction at the state level. I just think he's got his back against the wall on this. Mm. Now, the issues that he should be fighting against, he needs to reject the nonsense of net zero by 2050. He needs to call out, look, the idea, 
you know, remember, to get the net zero 2050, we have to do major culls of our beef cattle, our dairy cattle and our sheep. Now, he should be out there fighting for that every day. He should be out there fighting this. I heard in your introduction, Chris Bowen, the absolute nonsense and rubbish this man is talking, talking about solar panels being cheaper than coal. You're not comparing apples for apples. If you're comparing power that only works when the sun's out and gives you just nothing when the sun goes down against power that works 24 hours a day, it's not a, it's not a fair comparison. You've got to add in all those other costs to the solar panels or wind turbines to account for when they don't work. One of those, of course, which is, it looks like $20 billion plus on Snowy, Snowy 2.0, which is all a subsidy to the renewables. That's the only reason Snowy 2.0 is being built, as a subsidy to renewables to try and counteract the intermittency. So Peter's got to pick some of those issues, pick those traditional liberal issues and fight for them like, tragically, they never fought for them when they were in government. Now, just getting back to the budget, you're probably aware of the class action lawsuit lodged by Queensland Dr Melissa McCann on behalf of the vaccine yes. injured. Should the budget make allowances for compensation for the thousands of people who were infected? Affected, I should yeah, say. It's funny, that's one of the questions I asked uh, Josh Frydenberg. I said, Josh, how much uh, provision do you have in the budget to pay for all these people that have been injured by these vaccines? He sort of gave me this sort of blank stare sort of thing as the answer was, was zero. Look, the reality is that Labor has got very lucky because we've got record revenue coming in from our mining industry, which Labor wouldn't have allowed. If you go back in time, Labor would have blocked a lot of those projects from going ahead. And the other area where they're getting so much revenue from is from the big banks. Now, the big banks all have this major boost to their profits because what they've been able to do, as the interest rates have risen, the banks have been able to, because they're not the competition there should be in the market, they put the rates up to borrowers, but to depositors, they've been a lot slower at putting them up. So that's increased their margin, that's increased their profits. The federal government gets a share in higher tax rates. So again, it's the poor middle-class mortgage holders that are the ones paying, paying in the backside to help sort of try and bring the bu budget back to a balance. And remember this, even if the budget is brought back to balance, that is just for the next 12 months, which I'll believe it when I see it, there's still a trillion dollars worth of debt that we've run up. And one of the biggest expenditure tonight, I'll announce, is the interest on that debt. Right. Yeah, well, speaking of interest, the, you know, the, the Reserve Bank pushes up interest rates, squeezing out home by homeowners. Some homeowners will be forced to sell their homes as a result. And the government's main response is to commission the big end of town to build high, medium, medium and high density apartments, build to rent, they call it, to accommodate these people. That's not a solution to housing at a time of high immigration. Just remember, this year, 715,000 new migrants in 12 months are going to come in and be onto that housing housing market, the market that is out of control, where people can't afford rents already. It is almost like a, a war against the Australian renters to bring that number of people in when we simply don't have the number of house, houses, new houses, to house those people. This is our migration policy is out of control. There's got to be some sort of, you know, and again, this is the Liberals' weakness. The Liberals should be out there screaming about this migration policy 
of 715000 See how it's ridiculous. So it's going to harm the lowest income earners in this country. It's going to harm renters in this country. Because all it will do will throw more people in. We've got to somehow get back to some type of manageable number of migrants. If we're going to have whatever number of migrants we have, new migrants, we've got to have a similar number of new housing starts. Now, we don't have that. A complete mismatch. It's, it's just like in, a, yeah, a it's a mismatch. Chairs, when you're pulling the, you're getting more and more people coming into the game of musical chairs and you're not putting enough chairs out. Exactly, people, exactly. We're going to have Australians sleeping in their, in their cars this winter because mm. of Labor's policy to yeah. bring 715,000 new migrants into the nation. Now, just quickly getting back to COVID, you might have noticed the World Health Organization declared the global health emergency on the weekend. They declared it was over. Shouldn't it, shouldn't it have apologised for calling it an emergency in the first place? Oh, look, um, when we look back through the history of, of, of the COVID period, every single thing a health bureaucrat said was wrong. Go, go through the list. You talk about, oh, it, was, uh, it came out of the wild, not from a lab. Wrong. They told us how masks would work. Wrong. They told us that lockdowns were effective. Wrong. They told us remdesivir was needed. Wrong. The PCR tests, we know, overstated the number uh, of people uh, having COVID. You go through the list, early treatments, they said didn't work, worked. Vitamin D, we now know, is so important to make sure your vitamin D levels uh, don't fall because that makes you much more vulnerable to COVID. And what did our health bureaucrats and senior oh, politicians before, do? Hang on, before you say lock that. Lock everyone in their house. Well, lock them in the house. But, but Craig, you're missing the, the, the main statistic, and that is the, the casualty rate. That was overstated well, yeah. too. I mean, it was people dying with That's COVID, not from it. It was all based you know, on we're that. Told these, uh, we were told these vaccines were a magic potion that mm. was safe and effective. If you took the shot, you wouldn't catch COVID and you wouldn't get sick. That's that's what President Biden, from President Biden down, was telling the world. They just got it totally, totally wrong. So and, we, and now they want they want greater powers. Well, I was just going to ask you that. I mean, you know, we saw the draconian tendencies of our uh, our rulers and bureaucrats. Are we still vulnerable to this happening again under different uh, for different reasons? Look, you, you made a very good point there earlier. This is why we need not just one Royal Commission, we need several Royal Commissions and investigations into all aspects of COVID because at the moment we're not learning from the mistakes. There were terrible, tragic mistakes that were made that cost people their lives, that has caused long-term damage to the economy. We've got to learn from all of those things to make sure that we don't do it again. We've got so many people frightened to admit that a single mistake was made. That just sets us up uh, to do, repeat these mistakes all over again. Well, the one way to ensure it doesn't happen again is to cherish our birthright of free speech, mm. Craig. Correct. What's the state Correct. of free speech in the, Australia? What's, the, what's the state thing, of it now? Well, it's a very dark, very dark period of our, our history. We should be, uh, so we should be regulating these large social media companies so they... Now, if it's if it's lawful to say on a soapbox in the town square, it should be unlawful for the likes of a YouTube uh, or Facebook or Google to censor it. We've got to get back to where we respect free speech. If we do that, if we had these open open debates, we would have maybe been able to avoid a lot of the tragedy of the COVID period. But we had a small group of people that thought 
They are so much more clever and they are so much more enlightened. They don't have to debate on these subjects and anyone that disagrees with them, they just throw out the term misinformation, misinformation, don't even debate them. And, and again, these people, they were the ones putting out the misinformation. They were the ones that got everything wrong. Well, what we need are politicians who who shout the values of freedom of speech from the rooftops. And uh, thankfully, Craig, you're one of them. I hope to see you back in Parliament one day soon. Craig, thanks a lot for your time. Thanks, Red. Great to be with you. That's former federal Liberal MP and outspoken critic of COVID lockdowns and vaccine mandates, Craig Kelly. Well, that's all from me tonight. Thanks for watching. The great Alan Jones is up next at eight o'clock. And if you haven't yet, tune in for The Mark Stein Show at five o'clock Australian Eastern Time every Tuesday to Friday. Uh, today's show features Robert Kennedy, which is a cracking interview. You can also check out all of Mark's previous shows at adh.tv or on our app. You can also see great content from Lyle Shelton, Damien Curry, Alexandra Marshall, Daisy Cousins, David Flint, Nick Cater and more. Tell your friends, ADH is the new home for common sense commentary and there is no shortage of things to comment about these days. I'll see you again tomorrow at seven o'clock. Good night.